before we start this episode, uh, we're just giving a shout out to a study that's being done at the University of South Australia, where they're working to better understand how parents engage with video games and how their experiences might be enhanced. As part of the research, the team is inviting parents to participate in an online study to share details of their gaming activities. And we'll post the link in the description below. Hey everyone, and welcome to Cafe Boolians today, tonight. I'm here with usual friends, Costa, Susie, not Alex. Poor, poor Alex. He's not here tonight. But, uh, you know, Susie might put on her voice at some point for Alex. So, if it sounds like Alex, it's actually Susie. Yeah, and we both have similar hair, so it kind of counts. (laughs) Yeah, which obviously the audience will get, you know... Confused yeah, about because yeah. you sound they like can, you have similar hair. They can like hear the hair. Yeah, they can hear the hair yeah. for sure. Just the hair getting like muffling the microphone yeah. in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think people with curly hair just sound cooler. That's that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> you can tell the kind of hairstyle. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. It's we're not? talking about <laughs> incentives versus rules. <laughs> um, no, today we're talking about incentives versus rules in games and how it affects player behavior. And I think I'm going to have to explain this one a little bit so it hopefully makes a bit of sense. So, examples. If we talk about rules in video games, this is my definition, but if we talk about rules, let's look at Super Mario Brothers. Uh, one rule might be if Mario runs into a fireball, he dies. Like, that is a game mechanic. That's what I'm going to call a rule or a game mechanic. An incentive, on the other hand, is like not a kind of hard-coded, this is not uh, why it happens when X. It's more like, all right, in Mario Bros, you have a timer ticking. And when you get to the end of the level, you get a score based on how long it took you to finish that level with shorter times ending up in a higher score. So, the mechanic there is the timer and the score, but then that creates an incentive And that incentive is trying to finish the level as fast as possible. Um, Now, games, systems everywhere have incentives, um, often whether or not the designer actually realizes it. And you end up having incentives that have, um, you could call them first order effects, which might be uh, trying to get through the level as fast as possible. But then they can actually have second order and third order, so on, effects as well. And this is where you kind of have these domino effects Uh, and people figuring out weird things. So, for example, if we're looking at the Mario Brothers example, let's say you're trying to get through the level as fast as possible. Uh, One second order effect might be that because players are trying to get through the level as fast as possible, they might figure out that it's actually quicker to not kill most enemies. And so, the second order effect is that players then start tending to do more pacifist runs and playing the game in a certain way. Uh, whether Nintendo designed that into the game, possibly, if they're being real smart about it, possibly not. Um, but just for some other examples of these kind of things that have actually happened, um, if you look at Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, um, there's a part in the game for anyone that's played that where you go from the starting area and you want to get to Hyrule Castle, but you've got to Uh, across this field called Hyrule Field and it's got a day-night system starts in the daytime when you get there once it goes to nighttime the kind of drawbridge to Hyrule Castle goes up so you can't get in and then all these skeletons and like freaky stuff start appearing in Hyrule Field freaked the hell out of me as a kid Um, but one thing is uh, 
because you have that kind of time limit there, which I guess you could say is a game mechanic, and you kind of don't want to be stuck in Hyrule Field, it creates an incentive to get across as fast as possible. Now, players worked out that uh, if you're rolling as Link, as a player, you actually go faster than if you're just running. And so it kind of, that incentive then created this second order effect of uh, people rolling to get around. And then, you know, once people figured that out, speedrunners ended up using it everywhere. Or that they even figured out, I think, side hopping is even faster than that. You know, once people do all the maths. And, um, a couple of other examples. If you look at Quake, uh, people, uh, the, I guess the aim of the game is to survive and to kill your opponents. And if you're playing against other people, uh, you want to do that by being able to uh, appear in random places or like get away from them or uh, get upgrades. Um, sometimes these upgrades and things like that are on high ledges. Now, the incentive is to get these upgrades uh, to do better or to spring a, track on, a stra uh, sorry, spring a trap on your opponents. Uh, but that incentive uh, led to players realizing they could actually use the rocket launcher when jumping to explode themselves and fling themselves higher <laughs> onto these ledges. And that was the invention of what we now call rocket jumping. So that incentive led to uh, advanced technique, you could call it rocket jumping, which has now been recognized and actually specifically designed into future games. Uh, one more example, if you look at Super Smash Bros, there's a technique called wave dashing, which is pretty much where you run back and forth really fast. Um, I think this started on the GameCube version from memory, but um, the actual mechanics of the game, generally if you're running and you went to turn around, it would take a little bit for your player to turn around because of momentum. People figured out how to do it in such a way where kind of all the momentum gets cancelled out and you end up being incredibly unpredictable moving all over the place. And because you're unpredictable, your opponent then can't predict where you're going to be and it just makes you better and harder to hit kind of thing. So again, this is another example of kind of player behavior that's emerged out of these incentive systems um, that are designed whether they're intentional or not. So this is kind of what we're talking about today. Um, I've got another article I'll touch on a bit later, um, but first I just wanted to open it up uh, to you guys. Have you um, seen any like major examples of this that haven't been talked about or have you kind of looked at this yourselves when designing games? Well, I mean, as soon as you said it, it's like kind of, um, it's it's kind of like the uh, that MDA game design framework of the mechanics, dynamics, and aesthetics, and that's really like what you're talking about is the dynamics part of that, where you you set the rules in the mechanics part, and then the dynamics uh, is kind of yeah the dynamic experience that it uh, those rules create and obviously it can be different depending on people how people play it and how you know rigid the rules are or how open they are but um yeah i, I love the, the the part that interests me is just how different the experience can be for different types of players um yeah. and 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 yeah i've been interested to talk about the like how that changes depending on the genre and the design of the game. Like I'm, I'm thinking of kind of like, and, and again, we'll talk about it with like incentives and that kind of stuff, but like mm. even like really narratively rich games that, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking like a telltale game, like it's yep. quite closed in a, in the experience. Um, obviously there's, yep. there's certain things that you can do, but typically the ex 
experience, in my opinion, seems to be like very similar with other players. But you can have more open-ended games, like like sandbox games and stuff. That yeah, obviously you can just have way more types of um, yeah, way more types of dynamic um, experiences. But uh, yeah, interested to to talk about the incentive stuff versus the uh, the rules and 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 if people have actually explored like. Uh, have people d- done an exploration on trying to uh, having an incentive and then having someone not take part of that incentive as like a you know as like a statement? I don't know. That would be something interesting. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, really that interesting. interesting. And that's like like um like I'm thinking of this like as the incentive kind of being like non-core mechanics. So, like, mm. if you if they're designed specifically, they sound like non-core mechanics. But then, like, the part that's really interesting to me is that, like, when players are exploiting things or finding things that work, like, that's really, really cool, like, outside yep. of what the designer intended. But um, I think, like, what you're saying, Costa, about, like, incentives and making a statement, like, that that's really interesting. And I think that comes down to how people play interactive narratives quite a bit. Like, because, like, if I'm playing... Well, like, even the walking simulators, like, if I'm playing as a character and I feel like that character wouldn't do a thing, even if that thing would be beneficial to me yep. in the game, like, I wouldn't do it. And then yeah. so that, like, yeah, is that, like, breaking that, like, am I not taking that incentive, but that's because that's how I'm playing? It's, mm. it's Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It really is. And I, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the extra credits uh, video, Susie, that Costa and I watched, but it was actually talking about that kind of thing, how you can use incentives in a video game to make a statement. That video was talking about, like, make a statement around the real about the real world without kind of having a on-your-nose message. Hmm. And one example they used was talking about uh, Prison Architect, the game, can be used to uh, kind of critique the American uh, prison system because if you're playing it, you're put into the position where you're ha- having to like currently make, uh, constantly make decisions about like, do you reduce the welfare of the prisoners and then make extra money or do you do it the other way around? And then you're kind of like juggling all these things and you're actually like, even though it's not a one-to-one uh, experience of like the actual prison system, it's kind of a... Uh, a minimalized uh, simulation showing the incentives and you being put in that position makes you kind of, uh, it, it opens your eyes to it in the real world. Mm. So you could do things that are like negatively impacting inmates but might be good for business. And yeah, that's like kind of. Papers, please. And like, yeah, kind of putting that's you, another yeah. One. Definitely. That's something that yeah. I think someone commented and said, papers, please, is a great example, just around how you slowly realize how. You're thinking about your customers and clients doesn't pay off, and yeah, just things like that. It affects your family and you, and you've got to balance that. And that yeah. incentive, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, Costa, because you, you brought yeah. up sandbox games. So, like, if even if you look at a game like Minecraft, which is you know very open, do we find that players are drawn to doing certain things? Like, is there an incentive there that is actually almost working as like a magnet to certain kinds of behavior? Oh, that's such a good one because, like, um, I couldn't play Minecraft, right? And the reason that I couldn't play Minecraft 
and you're going to think this is really dumb, it's because you can't be vegan in my cup. <laughs> oh, wow. That's right? that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, it's really, really hard. So you, I just died because, like, you can have potatoes, you can have <laughs> corn, but you can't get enough, right? So I keep dying, keep dying. Unless I'm willing to eat the sheep or the cows, it's, it's too hard a game. So it basically makes – and this was a huge problem, um, and it was a problem to the point where PETA actually made their own server – where you could be <laughs> like yeah. vegetarian, yeah. I was gonna say I just googled uh, vegan Minecraft servers, and a whole lot came up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because people were like, "Well, this is like this sucks. What can we do about it?" So they actually created somewhere. You know, there's plenty of abundance of corn or whatever, and you, you, you can actually. Oh, I love this. Look, the plugin on this server adds vegan wool, vegan cake, vegan pumpkin pie, vegan milk. What? Vegan taming of ocelots. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, is that not a good example then of like how people have uh, taken mechanics and and you know use them in a way to create a different kind of experience? I mean, I don't know if that's you know uh, an yeah. incentive thing, but yeah, it's kind well, of playing towards the mechanics, like creating those incentives. That is like crafting this thing that um. This like in academia, um, we call procedural rhetoric, um, which is mm. like this the way in which like the systems and the rules. This guy called Ian Bogus said that the systems and the rules that you put in a game communicate an ideology. Yeah. So like yep. if you're saying you know like if say you're playing GDA and every time you go into the McDonald's you get like hyped right like you get better score or whatever you you get better at stuff then it's communicating that ideology that eating McDonald's makes you more powerful or strong or mm. whatever the the thing is, right? Um, so then, yeah. like, to people who are playing it, it's going, oh, look, like, innately, subconsciously somewhere, there might be coming that idea in your head that I should eat McDonald's and be buff, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's really interesting, and that actually leads quite well into the other article that I've got here. <laughs> Um, so, this one is by a guy called Daniel Schmuckenberger, I think is how you say it, um, and a team he's kind of assembled uh, for a project called the Consilience Project. Um, but they wrote this article arguing that technology, so we're, we're looking at games, we'll go macro past games, but then we'll bring it back. So, macro technology as a whole, they argue, is not uh, values neutral. Um, and what that means is basically people often say technology is neutral, e.g., uh, a gun doesn't kill people, people kill people. That's like one example. You know? mm. um, but what they're arguing is uh, that the way technology is designed and you got to take each case on its own case, It, like you said, Susie, it kind of forces you to act in a certain way which then actually trains people to kind mm. of think certain ways just because of the whole be behavior, mind connection. Um and some examples they had, which I found really interesting, were um, so like bathroom scales is something that we just kind of take for granted. Everyone has them in their bathroom or most people have them in their bathroom. You stand on it and you weigh yourself and you get a number, which is your weight. Um, now, no one's ever designed these setting out to kind of screw with people's self-perception or anything like that. But because they were made and first given to doctors and then... Uh, spread to everyone's houses everyone has easy access to that that one number which is your weight 
um, a lot lot easier access than you have to any of your other kind of health indicators such as I mean BMI you can mm-hmm. kind of work out but some of the more like tricky ones you need like a specialist to take and because of that um, your your weight in kilograms or whatever became kind of the de facto measure of your body health and so then we have like shows like Biggest Loser and stuff where the whole premise is on losing literal weight um, now not everybody's body works the same way and your weight that weight is just like one small part of the whole story. And so, unfortunately, like this in extreme examples, then stuff like this can actually lead to like body dysmorphia and um, eating disorders and stuff like that when people are taking that 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 one number as kind of uh, gospel truth. So, um, another example they have, which I found really interesting, uh, is... Uh, I haven't I haven't kind of looked at the history of this myself, but um, what they're arguing is that if you look at the invention of the plow, so when people were farming and stuff like that, uh, pre-plow, we had a lot of um, animistic religions which kind of focused on the sacredness of nature or the sacredness of animals or you had a lot of animal kind of based uh, gods. And then you have the plow come in and... Uh, in a lot of the societies that brought in the plow, you actually then see these animistic religions kind of declining because of the very practical aspect of if you're out there in the field and you're beating your ox every day with a cane while it's plowing your field, you kind of can't justify to yourself that you're still worshipping and like uh, keeping sacred the ox. (laughs) And so it's like, again, that behavior, it's just like a practical behavior that is empowered by this technology, which then... Uh, in retrospect, ends up changing people's kind of ideals and values through that beh- kind of learned behavior. So that's technologies as a whole. Um, but then I guess, Susie, what you were saying about uh, games kind of forcing you to act out certain ways, then training people, I think it's that's a very similar kind of case. Yeah, and it's not like it's not just games either. Like, yeah, like you're saying, it's like all forms of tech, and it's like there's issues. Like, um, I've been working on a research project kind of around this with chatbots, and um, like what we're finding is like there's a lot of issues in chatbots because where you think, hey, a chatbot to help a charity communicate its information is a really good idea. Um, but yeah. it turns out, like, there's a lot of, like, we couldn't use natural language processing because the data in NLP is biased. <laughs> oh, man. And yeah. racist and, you know, not not at all, like, well-suited to that group. Um, and most of the chatbots in the world are created in the global north, um, but yeah. designed for the global south quite often. Oh, and so wow. you have okay. people who don't know, like, don't understand what they're designing for, who, like, might have really good intentions, but... Yep they come from a background that we're, it's not quite the right fit. So anything that we put in those that then go into... So there was, there's an example that we learned about in the research where they made a um, chatbot that told um, people where food was being dropped in Africa um, yep. for uh, that people could go and get the food. Um, and it just told you where and when you could go and get the food, but it was broken. Yeah. So it didn't work, and it told people the wrong date. And, and there were people who oh, traveled no. hours um, to get to this location, and they couldn't get there. And then um, that was just seen as like a small error in code, but it caused yeah. such a huge issue. Um, but mm. the designers of that, like, they were quite well regarded, and they won some awards yep. for that because yeah. the intent was good, but then there are still people yep. 
who don't have their food because of that. And that just that impact yeah. and that that kind of like you said that separation. Um, it, it that's how we get, I think, these kind of things happening that that cause these issues where the tech is saying something or communicating something, yep. but it's maybe not what was intended or was hoping. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a good book that I've mentioned it before on the show, which is called Ruined by Design by Mike yep. Wontiro, and it literally just goes into how designers have, uh, yeah, destroyed the world. It's quite like <laughs> dystopian. Oh <my> God. <laughs> wow. Um, Do we all like it, get it, new jobs after this? You just yeah, <laughs> Mike Wontiro is pretty like brutal with what he says but he, he he says some good points and a lot of it is around that incentive structure um one of them being around twitter as well and this is obviously before yeah. all of the the musk stuff but yeah, uh, yeah. how it's in those platforms are incentivized to uh have like it, it boosts posts that are controversial and like polarizing because mm. that means that you look at it and you have the more eyes equals, you know, more advertising they can put on, on the, uh, on the post. So it's incentivized, you know, from the ground up to be polarizing and to be controversial, uh, and to spur arguments like that. That's the, yeah. you know, because it means more people will look at it and the more people that look at it, the more money they make. So when, when it's, when it's incentivized in that kind of way with advertisers, um, it's always around attention and time. And that's where you get these things like frictionless uh, scrolling on yep. on Instagram and Facebook and everything. And, you know, the, even the designer who designed that said, like, that was probably one of the worst things he's ever done. <laughs> uh, he was designing to, uh, you know, a problem that existed, which was how do we get people to not leave or, you know, yeah. have the least amount of friction. But friction is a good thing. Uh, when the incentive is, you know, well-being and the incentive isn't, uh, view, you know, the amount of attention that is on the application. So, uh, yeah, it, incentive is like is massive. And when it's kind of driven by uh, negative things or, you know, money or something like that, and you're not taking into account like a person's well-being and health, then uh, you can start to make desi- design decisions that are uh, going against that. So. Yeah, I think um, another thing is when, especially like in those real world examples, when they only have one or two kind of data points that they're kind of comparing against, often can lead to like these real <laughs> bad roll-on effects. Whereas you have, um, I mean, and this is hypothetical. Some Someone I heard recently suggests like, imagine if like Facebook instead of, or like Twitter just showing you the news that is most matched up to your personality profile. Imagine if it showed you a mixture of that and news that was like the antithesis of your personality profile. And so then you actually got like a mixed feed of Mm -hmm. like both sides then. Mm -hmm. And it's then like, and it's like, they're saying it's like technologically, that's not any really, it's not really harder to do than what we're already doing, but it's just, you're kind of like changing the kind of incentive there and, what would the roll-on effects for the, that be? So. The, the the interesting thing that would uh, is kind of like from a game perspective, uh, loot boxes as well. That that's something. Yeah. Like the incentive mechanism, like to to play a game, and then like just that, just how designers will go about, you know, doing that, and then hooking people, and then getting them to, uh, you know, for the whole free to play thing, and and just yeah, getting people I was in. Say, fric- it's like battle passes now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Like, that's the yeah. huge thing with Battle Pass is, like, you pay, and then you get these incentives at each level to keep you playing. Yeah. Right? You're yeah. not paying for that skin. You're paying for the opportunity to get that if you play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I know that with <laughs> almost every example we have is quite negative, which <laughs> often happens because I think that's where this kind of comes up. People go, oh, no, wasn't expecting that to happen. Yeah. Um, but, like, good good uh, kind of roll-on effects happen too. Um, and, like, just one example that comes to mind for me is, like, uh, the show Star Trek, right, which was a science fiction. I don't know how much of this was intentional by design, but, like, that show has gone on to inspire so many inventions <laughs> in the real world just by kind of showcasing them. And so, uh, and like I was telling Costa the other day, actually, um, I was reading a book which was like called The Economics of Star Trek, <laughs> which was like specifically oh, wow. looking at the, the, or analyzing the suspected economic system of Star Trek, the next generation specifically, because <laughs> in this series specifically, they have, um, was it material printers or like uh, matter generators or whatever? And how that's like, uh, because of that, they've managed to get rid of the whole money system and how there's like, it's a post-scarcity like universe and everything. And they're like, all right, what is that? And then um, this book's kind of like, how can we get from where we are now to that? So tangential, but um, I think my point is like the writers of Star Trek most likely weren't foreseeing like this amount of kind of inspiration and like mm. uh, real real world invention coming from that, I suspect. Mm. The, the, the good part about that video that you put up as well, um, just around like, being on the nose about telling yeah. someone a theme like that to me was really uh it kind of reminded me of how in film and you know s screenwriting and stuff how you've got a story but the themes that come out of that story is you know like some sometimes it's up to interpretation or like it's not so on the nose you know they're not they're going to write it in the script that this is a story about you know loss like it's something you take away from the film and from the story um yeah. and i feel like that's something that um you know, with incentives in games, uh, you might take a message away from it, but the, the designers have put this, these systems in place in order to not, maybe not convey a message, but like try to demonstrate, you know, maybe like in the, in the context of the prison system, like the pressure mm. and the things that can go on to, you know, you're taking that away because you're, got, you're being put in that situation and uh, you're being shown the exact kind of experience that would, uh, you know, you come out of that and you, from playing it, you'll figure out that, yep, this is a difficult thing. Like this prisons don't work. Like here's the things that people are, you know, usually incentivized by and so on. So mm. I, I, yeah, that's, that's how I kind of like made the connection in my head. It's like, yep. um, instead of being like prisons are bad and here's a game about why prisons are bad. It's just like, yeah. put someone in the, their shoes and see why they might find it bad. I know um, people say, I've heard people talk about like Undertale as a good example of that kind of thing as well, where um, you're incentivized to have a pacifist run. I mean, you can also have like a, what's the run where you kill everything? I can't remember. <laughs> but Is you, you can, Is yeah, you, you can play it however like you want. Like genocide but or something. It's really <laughs> that's the one, the genocide <laughs> run. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's incentivized in its own way, I guess, if you want to completionist it. But, um, <laughs> but like, there's an incentive there. It's almost like like when designing the game, uh, they made the fighting part like a lot more boring than the 
the pacifist options <laughs> mm. and with like every monster you encounter you got a whole new set of options and you get like all these interesting like responses and stuff like that um i don't know if it's that just resonates with me as a player but like i've heard other people say that um like that game helped them see kind of what games can do in a new light because you can you know have an rpg where you're not killing everything <laughs> kind of thing, yeah so. and and surely there's a level like what, what do you guys think about like the level that the level of control that a designer has over trying to convey a certain message. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like these are all like, let's, if we look at mechanics and say levers or whatever, it's like, oh, you know, like in that, in that context of Undertale and, um, you know, making, uh, so you said that they, they didn't incentivize, um, combat. Um, this is my thoughts. My analysis okay. is that, uh, like you could, if you wanted to play the game that way, you can kill everything and get really strong gain XP, but like generally like to fight the enemies it is not as interesting <laughs> yeah I, I i believe whereas like if if you haven't played the game you also have generally it's like a talk option and that gives you like four options and you're trying to work out which one kind of will uh, mm-hmm. appease the enemy and then mm-hmm. um and then like if you actually like a completionist and you want to complete the game uh, i'm pretty sure it's like the pacifist run ends up like unlocking certain stuff as well so that i mean that is then by design so that's not a like an accidental incentive yeah so the the levels that uh a game designer has to to pull at how how do they balance that uh are there any examples that you've seen where they balance that or is it kind of like they're they're putting a a lever really high to convey a certain message do you know what i mean like uh in the context of let's say in the context of i'm going to use prison simulator again yeah sure. but let's say in the context of prison simulator right like what if we completely gave the person directing the prison no money like very little money and the incentive there is that they have to provide for their family um like that'll change the experience for the player because they might start to do yeah. things to uh, make more money on the side by doing unethical stuff in order to provide for their family. You know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. Just is that obviously that's something that the game designer has at their uh, at their in the you know in their control to um, influence the narrative or the thing that the player takes away from the game. Uh, are there any like examples that people have seen of where that kind of thing can be? in flux or where they're specifically adding different incentives to try and push it in a uh, certain way to, to, yeah to, pu- to push the experience in a certain uh yeah certain way that's um, yeah. like i think like because i've been like there's this company called minds at play and they make um dungeons and dragons campaigns uh for neurodiverse groups um neurodivergent players and the like i've been talking to them a bit about how they like construct their worlds and like i think essentially like what's happening is like because they're designed to help neurodivergent people like kind of navigate like a neurotypical world so Mm. like what they're doing is they're like creating this neurotypical world inside dungeons and dragons so like if you're like if you're neurodivergent like me like you maybe tend to go up to people and you might be like a little bit like full on right like <laughs> I might be like hey how you going blah 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 and, and maybe not great at small talk so 
like, but like in these neurotypical insensitized worlds, like neurotypical people like small talk, right? Like they like, how you going? How's the weather? Like at the bus stop, they like that kind of stuff, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so like in these worlds that they're creating, they're incentivizing those behaviors, those, those kind of like relationships, those, those neurotypical like things like quirks or whatever. Let's call them neurotypical quirks. Yeah, wow. <laughs> right. Um, so, like, if the players go and, like, engage in those things, then the neurotypical NPCs, like, they have rewards and bonuses and things that can come out of that conversation. That mm. if, you, if you make small talk with them. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? Which is pretty cool, right? <laughs> if only real life was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This bus is running late today. They're like, thank you, good sir. Here's $100. <laughs> 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 Yeah, well, that's like Forrest Gump, right? Like, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Turns out I'm actually a billionaire. Here you go. Yeah. Um, that's the trick, is it? It's all in the small talk. <laughs> Another one, I guess that um, you could, you could, I feel like could be interesting is like, um, like say Pokemon Go, right? And how mm. they incentivize you to be outside, um, based on you know how they make that. The game design really is you being out in a certain location. So it's incentivizing you to get to that place, uh, you know, presumably by walking. I don't know if is there something that they can do to d- detect if you're like driving or. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, originally did. it was because it used the maps. And if you're moving at a certain speed, they're like, yeah, yeah a human's were. probably not walking at this speed. Um, so that, and it would just give you warnings. I mean, so not that like I ever a, did that. Yeah, so that, that's I, almost, I saw. <laughs> yeah, that's like an implicit. That, that's like an explicit control of like, no, you need to be walking for this experience. Like, yeah. Mm. Well, but, but see the before they put that in though, the incentive you know would have backfired mm. because you have to go a certain amount of distance, and people realized you know they could go a lot faster not on foot. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the mechanic. That's right. Like that's like the, here's the mechanic. It's like you have to travel from A to B, or you have to travel to this lo- specific location to get this specific Pokemon. And then people yeah. go, well, I can walk there, I can drive there. And then they start driving. And then obviously the the game designers, you know, Niantic was like, no, 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 no. This is a walking experience only. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's put yeah. this other control in to uh, curb that kind of behavior. And that's back to that it- thing like like we talked about previously about um like stripping back the design and having that basic design. And then like if that's their core mechanic, then all the other mechanics that they've got in that are working towards supporting that core mechanic. Because yeah. that's, that's good design, right? Yeah, totally. The question of, you know, with all these incentives, it seems to almost be like a limitless amount of like roll-on effects, uh, secondary, third, uh, like third order effects that can happen from these things. Do you think it's realistic to expect people to be able to d- design away all these bad effects? Or, you know, how do you go about designing to try and reduce that kind of, impact do you mean in terms of how do how do how do you design to uh reduce the impact of a certain behavior yeah so i guess like okay if we look at pokemon go i don't yeah. know whether they thought of this while they were doing it but um i would imagine i would imagine they would have put out the game designed it you know this will get people walking you know whatever you plug it to google maps start driving and, and then people start driving um this, is yeah. there maybe a process they could have gone through in the first place yeah. to kind of like... <laughs> well, well, you could play test like crazy yeah. To, uh, yeah. to determine how people might um, 
experience the game and what yeah you know behaviors and stuff they can do but i i think an interesting point on on that whole pokemon go thing is like did they do the right uh approach to uh you know in response to how people were playing the game was it right to just go nope we're gonna like put some check in place to see that you're driving or like they could have taken another approach and gone, well, we're going to incentivize people who walk more than the people that drive. And then that'll then incentivize that kind of behavior as opposed to just being like, no, you can't drive. Like, yeah, maybe if you're walking, you get more, uh, I don't know, points if every time you walk or something like that. And, you know, we can, um, you know, they can detect based on the speed that the slower, well, and again, that, that creates more issues, right? Like the, the, maybe yeah. the speed that you're walking at, if it's not, yeah, I don't know. Well, you're, you're right. You could do something like uh, you have like, for example, I know, I think part of the reason was because people wanted to get to different pokey stops around, which were mm. like kind of baked into physical locations on the map, mm-hmm. right? And so, that's why they would go between them fast in their car or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could have, you could implement like uh, random items that reward you as much or more for walking slowly between places or you could have like time limit caps or something between going to different pokey stops all that kind of stuff i guess it's i agree with you if you could find a way to reward the good behavior rather than (laughs) punish the bad behavior always better but um and i mean a lot like i know we we're talking about having uh incentives as a way of like let's say conveying something uh but the game designer has a certain thing in their mind of the kind of experience they want to convey yeah. to the mm. to the player like they they're setting up this this world with these certain rules because they wanted they want to evoke some kind of uh behavior yeah um and i guess like in the with the example of pokemon go you by play testing it you're you're essentially seeing if the user's behavior matches the intended yeah. behavior that that the game designer is uh designing for and then you can you know brainstorm to see if that doesn't match like what's wrong with it like why doesn't it match that behavior um yeah, yeah. and yeah and again like with the whole brainstorming thing you could there's a like there's a there's a good uh you know thing called you know how might we we just do how like a bunch of questions like how might we solve this if this yep. and that so yeah um but yeah, it's 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 interesting the incentive how that changes how people play. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, playtesting's always been like the number one thing I found in my experience that's revealed things that you were not expecting. Mm. Uh, even for like in my case with audio, just like I remember making sound effects and then they all sounded really good in isolation. But then when you plug them into the game and people are like trying to play as fast as possible, and you end up with all these sound effects playing over each other and it's yeah. like horrible. Uh, like I couldn't have guessed that without <laughs> seeing the game being played. Yeah, so. without mm-hmm. trying it. Yeah. So. And I guess, fortunately, I think I think this goes to show though, games are actually a really good medium for this kind of <laughs> stuff because it's like usually non-real world risk <laughs> that you're playing with, yeah. and that you can like yeah. iterate on and <laughs> refine. But yeah, yeah, but um. Yeah, I want to. One of the things that yeah we were talking about before was like narrative, narrative driven mm. games. How how do you think that uh, that differs from like more mechanics based uh, games where it's like quite open ended? Well, different. Or- 
there's an incentive thing in Hannah, right? Where like I had um like Hannah's story is the same for everyone who plays. But like when you talk with her, there's like this trust variable that's saved. And if you're like super like engaged with her and responsive to her, um, and you say like really nice things, she starts to trust you. So that trust variable is saved higher. And then I've okay. got like a check later in the game where it checks that trust variable. And if it's like at a certain level, then Hannah will tell you directly what's going on. Like she discloses mm. some stuff to you, um, mm. which is like the incentive. Um, but, you know, it's not that nice, but like it's that's what it is. Um, but if yeah. you didn't have the trust check high enough, then you learn about like what's happening to her through another player, like another character who comes in and tells you. Uh, so, so like is the, what's, the what's the incentive that, there from from your perspective? Like, as a designer, what was your incentive for that kind of, like, uh, design? Uh, so, it's highlighting the importance of, like, trust to disclosure. So, people, like, who are experiencing domestic violence, it's really hard to disclose what's happening. And when people do disclose what's happening, they only ever do it to somebody who, like, like it generally only disclose to people who they really trust. So it's highlighting that trust. And I didn't want to have, like, if the player was maybe, like, not, like, engaging with Hannah in a super, like, responsive way, I didn't want them to have that experience where she disclosed to them because that's not, like, representative of a real-world situation where mm -hmm. if you're, like, going, yeah, yeah, whatever, like, sure, I guess you can talk to me, like, whatever, I'm a bit busy. Like, then that yeah. person's probably not going to feel comfortable enough to disclose to you. But I still didn't want you to then, like, be chucked out of the game either because, like, mm. you you know, then you still, as a player, get to learn what happens and support her later. But you kind of that you get that opportunity or you don't. Like, you get that experience or you don't. What would the, yeah. the on-the-nose approach to that be? Like, I know, you know, you talk, we're talking about showing it through incentive. What would the on-the-nose, like, I'm telling you that you need to – is it like a, you need to yeah. trust – this person, I think like. that would be the trust. And I, I thought about exposing the trust variable. So having like a trust count, oh, yeah. like how much Hannah, mm. Hannah trusts you at the top of the screen. And then I was like, no, nah, that's that's too on the nose. That's too mm. not like real life. Real life people don't give you trust. Like it's not <laughs> yeah. the same. Yeah, <laughs> above us, certainly. Here's how much <laughs> Can you imagine how so much I trust you. If yeah, like you're did, talking to someone and you're watching the trust bar go down. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just be panicking. I'm like, what am I saying? Oh, dear God, I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah, um, I had an experience uh, make, um, making a game recently. I, I wouldn't call it narrative, but it, I guess it's adjacent. Um, it's a game where the player can pick like one of several different characters and we're discussing whether like different characters should have different music play with the play style. Uh, with the playthrough and um one reason i was kind of re reluctant to do it is because i didn't want to accidentally make like one of the sets of music more catchy <laughs> or like more enjoyable than the others because then it would accidentally incentivize players to pick that player based on the music then oh wow. like, yeah. <laughs> whether it has that much power or not who i don't know who cares but like it's just one of those things it's like oh wow like if if yeah three songs are crap and one's good then people get annoyed and just default back to that one good player. Mm -hmm. so. mm. the, and it's such a, it's so powerful because unlike like say film or something, you have so much more like player choice, like the choice, the players make choice and the more choice you give them, like, you know, you can, yeah, you can just sway their, 
their opinion based on incentive, which is just yeah. like scary. Yeah. It can be good and bad, like we've mentioned. Like, you know, it can be good in like if you're incentivizing them to, you know, be more fit or something and they want to do that, then, you know, uh, there's that. But if you're doing something like, you know, wanting incentivizing them to, to buy more stuff from your from your store, then, you know, it can be a negative thing. Costa, actually, that reminds me, I think you might have alluded to this before, but um, when designing narratives... Uh, and incentives around those narratives. Uh, does the like? Can you expect the audience to always get that? Um, this is not necessarily an incentive example, but it reminds me of uh, the game Braid uh, with Jonathan Blow put that out, and it's like you know the first big indie success story, and it got a whole lot of like really high ratings, and everyone loved it. But he ended up getting like really angry at a lot of like reporters and stuff because he felt like they were missing the point of the game that he had like tried to bake into the uh, narrative. Mm. Um, and I, I was I watched a TV show recently where like the director was saying something similar. Where I think he now <laughs> he almost does more like less explicit storytelling and leaves it more to the viewer's imagination because he had a similar bad experience where he like published a book that was trying to say one thing and everyone took the opposite message from it. <laughs> so mm. I guess off that. Um, do you guys find there are any like techniques you can use like narrative or incentive wise <laughs> that you feel like are surefire ways of communicating or getting your message across or do you have to actually just like put your hands up in the air and say look the audience will take from it whatever they take from it yeah i think like like for me whatever my core message is i want to bake that as hard as i can <laughs> right yeah, and then everything yeah. else can be dynamic <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that, that's how I feel, right? Yeah. Like, like the one key thing, like I might explain that multiple times in different ways, or I might try and just have that as like the end thing. But then, like other stuff, I'm like, all right, it comes across or it doesn't. It supports that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I think, uh, yeah, just to add to that, like the the kind of core pillars of like the experience, and and everything extends on from that. Like if the if the core pillar is, you know. Uh, you want to convey uh, exploration or something like, or you know, so, something like that. Then, then everything kind of stems on from that core pillar. Um, and even if it's like from a narrative perspective, like if you want to, uh, like I'm working on a, like a little indie thing, and and I was, I'm trying to kind of convey like j judgment and. Um, you know, c coming to terms with decisions that you've made and, you know, you, there's one approach you could do where it's like very explicit, like I made the wrong decision or something like that. But, mm. you know, there's other ways that you can uh, convey that experience without being so literal with it. Like you can, you know, maybe the player has nightmares around a decision that they've made or, you know, the decision yeah, has well. consequences in, in other ways and... Yeah, you know, you're not being so yeah, so little. Clementine will remember this. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's yeah, that's a good one, right? From yeah. from Telltale, that that kind of yeah, just indicating that things that will happen or whatever, but not literally saying, you know, you made the wrong decision or something. <laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting? Where they're like, yeah, it's multiple choice, and it's like <laughs> one of the choices leads your player to die. Every time. And it's like, yeah. well, I don't know if I'd call it multiple choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Mm. 
But yeah, how how what what is everyone's thoughts around like how it differs from from film where you write something literally trying to convey like one one topic or one you know one thing um whereas when you have that choice you know it can go either way yeah actually that's really interesting because like when you ask that straight away my mind goes is there incentive in film in the same way like do they incentivize a certain interpretation or something like that i guess you could argue movies with twists when it's done well it incentivizes a certain interpretation until they flip that and maybe that's but like that's yeah that's different <laughs> yeah because you're not because it's a passive medium in that you no matter what you do you're getting the same yeah, you can't, you can't story come through but you can maybe change the interpretation of that like you might have different interpretations of that is it is it like the more abstract you are, the the more open for interpretation? You're abstracting mm, the information point. away. Mm. That that reminds me of uh, the whole thing of like, especially in horror movies, where you know they generally say like show don't tell, but like in with when it comes to horror or certain things, if you don't show something, it like makes the audience's imagination make it a thousand times worse than what it ever could be on screen. Yeah. Um, I know we discussed that in one of the other episodes. That's uh, <laughs> different again. <laughs> there you go. Film's got no incentive. Sorry, all your film bros. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I do really like... That's something that um been like balancing is like the, you know, how abstract you make something. Um, and uh, we, we spoke about this before I... Uh, we before we jumped on about chat GPT and how I was like just using yep. it to bounce ideas off. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, like if I want to convey, like I've mentioned that conveying that message of, you know, judgment or, uh, you know, like in, in the narrative that I'm trying to do, it's basically you're, you're being judged for the decisions that you make. Um, mm. and, and when I like, and again, this is like, because, we're human. We we understand when it's like implicit, not explicit. But when you tell an AI to, you know, come up with an example of a player objective of, uh, you know, of this thing that you're trying to convey, it'll just be super explicit. It'll be like, yeah. I'm judging you right now because of X, <laughs> Y, and Z. You know, like, and I've found that limitation with with Chat GPT. Um, hey, at least it's good with communication. It, this feels yeah. like you know you go to therapy and they're like. You make me feel this way because <laughs> yeah. when you do this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, but it was they literally like that. Metaphor like, very well. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was super oh, no. explicit, and I was like, but, but, but it's interesting because you can guide the the AI. And we're going off topic here, but we can, you can guide the that's AI right. to be like, um, pretend the player does not know this. You know, yeah. like the player should not know this thing, and you should not tell them explicitly this. How would you convey that? And it'll change, and it'll like. It'll start yeah. to understand that, you know, it can't tell the player explicitly this thing. It'll imply it in some way. Mm. Um, but but it makes you logically think that way, right? Like, it makes you yep. think, like, how do I incentivize the player to, to f 
feel this way or you know what what things can I do to incentivize the player without explicitly telling them this thing or t- telling this message on the nose like yeah well Costa you're in UX right user experience like surely that would come up a fair bit about uh, I even things as simple as like drawing people's eyes to certain places yeah, on the screen like affordances stuff like and stuff yeah, yeah, affordances, yeah. There's 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 a bunch of heuristics um that like design user interface design heuristics that you can do that uh yeah, they incentivize certain behavior. It's always to reduce friction from a from like a web uh, design perspective. Like uh you know, there's 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 uh heuristics like, you know, uh recognition uh no, sorry. Uh, I can't what it was. It was around recall, right? Like recalling information and um, making information. Like you shouldn't have to try to remember things. Like you should yep. be able to just know things. Um, I'm, yep. I'm really butchering it, but <laughs> there's that. There's like doc- help in documentation. Like you should be able to easily find out how to solve a problem. You know, if a problem gets thrown up, it doesn't just say like Windows is notoriously bad for that, where it'll throw up and be like blah, blah, blah is the issue. Here's the code. And it doesn't tell you like yeah. what it is or how to fix it or where to go to fix it. Still so, better than uh, Apple iTunes where it comes up with the error. Yeah, error code. Like, error failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so things like that, like help in documentation. There's, there's, a, there's a, some really good ones from um, NNG group. Uh, they do, yeah, the, the, ten, the 10 heuristics. And you, and you just basically, if you want to evaluate things, you just run it through that. But a lot of it is around incentivizing, uh, you know, Less friction, essentially. Well, so, okay, this is going meta now. But, like, there you go. The incentive of, like, UX design is... Is it that... Is that one goal less friction? Depends on the context. It depends on the okay. context. Yeah. Um, right. You don't want to... Like, the classic thing is... If you had that same mentality and you went into games and you tried to do the same thing for games... You could beat Mario by having one big button yeah. that says "Save the Princess," and you <laughs> press it. And the yeah. over. Like it's like a yeah. game, a goal, and then we yeah. put like obstacles in the yeah. way of that goal. That's right? right. So if you so removed we- all those obstacles, there's no game. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. But 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 at least like there's there's certain ways to interact with that game that should be quite clear and um, yeah, you know. Yep. Uh, mm you know, digestible, but it also depends on the kind of experience that you're wanting. And I know we've, we've mentioned this before with like, uh, Elden Ring had that huge thing because a lot of people, yeah, like there, was a, there was a, I think it was an Ubisoft designer who was like, this has the worst UX ever. Yep. And then some people were like, yep. this is why I love it because it doesn't tell you everything yeah. explicitly. You know, it's not like go to, go to this place and do this one thing, you know, give me three of these. It's just, it like, Again, I haven't played it, but from from what I understood of that, it was not so on the nose with things. Well, that that's a really good point because I think that's like I would maybe use the term value, like oh, like values, like that that Ubisoft designer came at it with a certain set of values that are maybe very mm. Ubisoft, but then or like Persona. Elder Ring players, Persona, yeah, yeah, Persona, like, but then Elder Ring players have different values, and it's like you can't you can't judge that system with incompatible values otherwise it won't be a like it'll just be like a bad system or whatever but yeah mm. i mean di- different story if it was like it said press a and then it's actually press b like you know really yeah. really <laughs> bad things that uh yeah that's unless it's like a game like portal where you got unreliable na- narrator <laughs> yeah. and all that well, if, in again, which case that's it's a good experience thing. right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Mm. yeah just actually reminded me of like even things as simple as like 
lighting up certain doorways so the player knows to head towards those doorways. Mm. <laughs> All those kind of little things. Yeah. You know, and and so some of that's it. cultural too. And like, right, like I know like, um, you know, if you want to imply a wedding and it's an ad, you'd use a white dress here, but like in yeah. Asian countries that, that like it would be a red one or like even my car, my Japanese car, like the the enter is not the bottom right, it's the left. <laughs> and bottom mm. right is oh, well. cancel. When there's like a an error message or whatever, cancel is oh, the bottom right one. So I always go to cancel, like to enter, but that's does actually cancel. Yeah. Does that does that use the symbol of like an X and a tick? Or how does it does it just say the text, like cancel and okay? It just says the text, yeah. Oh but, gosh, that's Yeah, oh, and the cancel is the highlighted one too. Like the cancel is like the, oh, wow. it's the screen's blue and the cancel is orange in blue. So like mm. so I always go to click that like it's enter, but it's actually escape or exit or Here's an interesting point, just adding to that incentive in games uh, against, yeah, cu cultural differences. Yeah, so, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, so, it reminds me, not of a game, but um, back when I was doing my honours year, I was talking to a PhD student who was building, uh, like, they had this interactive VR kind of thing, um, augmented reality thing, sorry, um, and they had to do this test with people and... Similar to games, when they were doing this test, all these kind of edge cases came up that they hadn't planned for. One of which was they had two controls. One was go, one was stop. Go one was colored green and the stop one was colored red. And they just assumed that everyone would know that. And sure enough, people came in who didn't associate green with go and didn't associate red with stop. And so like that ruined their whole study kind of thing because you know they just hadn't planned for that. So like so I agree with you, Costa. I think like incentives they do have to be bound to the kind of culture of the audience that you're kind of marketing towards. Does that does that then is that then on the game designer to uh, explicitly state the bounds when they first you know set the environment up or whatever? Like like is it is it but then again, they're kind of influencing the behavior, right? To 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 kind of like say you're setting up a world, yeah. and here's the uh, mechanics of the world. Uh, you know, you 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 might incentivize certain behavior through that, but you have to explicitly kind of state those those rules initially to to kind of say this is. You can do it through like level design, right? Yeah. Like like Mario, like the very first level Mario, you get first thing you do is you get a mushroom. Right, then you're big. Then there's a Goomba. So if the Goomba hits you, you just get smaller. You mm. realize that's something bad, so you jump on the Goomba. Goomba's uh. dead. Right? Then there's two Goombas. Two Goombas. Right? Then there's a shell guy. You jumped on him. Oh, something different happened. What happened? Jump on him again. Right? Like it 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 logically puts you through that process, but like it doesn't say to you, jump on this Goomba. Like it kind of like because yeah. it's good. It teaches design you through it. through the yeah. design, yeah. It's interesting though, because like a game like that is very like very linear, and like it's not like an open world game where you can go exploring yeah. in any direction you want. Where because I think <laughs> the moment you kind of open that up, then it just opens up those possibilities of what people are going to try and do, like mm. infinitely. It, it reminds me of um, uh, C like Celia Hoden. Uh, she's a UX designer who worked on like Fortnite, um, mm. and she talks about the tutorial of how they teach uh, players about I th it's something similar, like about, I think there's zombies coming at them and they 
kill the zombies or something. But um, yeah, a lot of that design of that level, uh, you know, like they block the zombies from coming to you straight away. And then there's, you know, a bit of dialogue that says, oh, these, whatever, these zombies, you know, are bad. And like, it teaches you through the, through the level, like how to defeat the zombies. Um, mm. And it's, again, it's all around like teaching them the, the mechanics and, and how they work. Um, but yeah, like, is, is that, could that be open, you know, could that be for a game that's not so linear? Could it be, you know, open to interpret, like could be interpreted differently depending on the different culture that you, you come from? If it's not clearly maybe designed or I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's why we have um, localization stuff, hey? Like, yeah. Mm. yeah, well, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. That's why if, the, if a game or a movie is too abstract afterwards, I just always jump to Reddit or somewhere else and get what someone else to tell me what it meant. <laughs> 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 yep. I do the same thing. <laughs> and there's like so 10 bad. different explanations. Just pick the one you like. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you, you go read an interview with a director and they're just like, yeah, I left it to audience interpretation. Th- I'm like, you like, bastard. <laughs> that's like, uh, I, just, I finished Twin Peaks season three and I'm just like, what is... Yeah, what? good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but yeah. It was about how the world is not ready for silent shutters, <laughs> silent blinds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what it's about. <laughs> now we got to do a deep dive on that in another episode for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Let me let me get up to date in Twin Peaks, and then we'll do a Twin Peaks specialty. Yeah. So, <laughs> Twin Bullions. Twin Bullions. <laughs> All right. On that note, we should probably wrap it up today. Um, but we need a question for the audience. How can we incentivize them to answer? <laughs> we'll uh... we will give angry reacts only. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a good or see? That's an interesting one. Is that a good or bad incentive? <laughs> it's like if everyone's angry reacts, no one is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't know what's the question. Um, what are some good examples of incentives? Yeah, mm. I think that's it. <laughs> that comes to mind. What's your favorite incentive? Yeah, what's your favorite incentive? And that and that should hopefully generate some good t- discussion there in the chat as well. Uh, I'll also, uh, I'll try to post the links to a couple of the articles we saw on and videos on the Discord. If you're interested, uh, especially I think the extra credits one, which I'll post, does a really good job of explaining everything that we've talked about and how it can be tied into games. So, awesome. Anyway, you guys have a good fortnight. And Costa and Susie and Alex, wherever you are. <laughs> Hope you've enjoyed your coffees <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBooleans or by emailing us at hello at LiveBooleans.com. <laughs>